Antifa in Atlanta have declared a night of rage after the police shooting and killing of an Antifa member who opened fire on a Georgia state trooper. We're going to break down all of this. But first, I want to remind you, please go ahead, head over to humanevents.com slash POSO. And when you're there, you can utilize the POSO Daily Brief. It's totally free. You go in, read what I read. The POSO Daily Brief, it's all the stories, all the news, all the information that we use here in show prep every single day, even the stories that don't necessarily make it to the show. Just go to humanevents.com slash POSO and you too will be able to access the POSO Daily Brief. Let's get into it. Police had to push back the protesters so firefighters could get to the flames. Small fires had appeared all day. This upped the temperature, which of course was the point. One demonstrator threw a flashbang grenade back at police. It exploded in an officer's face. Plenty of tear gas, six officers reportedly injured. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is January 20th, 2023, Anno Domini. It is six years since the events of President Trump's inauguration, just showed you a video compilation of that. Now, you're not going to see those types of videos online. You're not going to see those types of videos on the mainstream media. You're not going to see those types of pictures probably anywhere. Because nobody likes to talk about the fact that when Antifa attacked, they called it J20, Trump's inauguration, they were specifically attempting to stop him from being inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States. Now, I was there that day. I was there with the beautiful and lovely Tanya Tay. We weren't married yet. I was also there with my brother. And we remember the attacks, hundreds of Antifa spilling out of vehicles, coming up from the subways, and by the way, they weren't attacking the government. They weren't attacking uh, Trump directly. They were attacking civilians. They were attacking citizens. They were attacking people just walking down the street. Innocent businesses that had nothing to do with anything. Now, let me tell you a little story about what happened with these individuals. The J-20 detainees. Because this was the first cause celeb. Well, all of them were defended by the ACLU. And they said that their rights were infringed because the Metropolitan Police Department, the DC police, rounded them up in mass arrests. And they said, that's not fair. You can't do that. And so not only did all of them have their charges dropped because of the ACLU, 
the people on the screen that you just saw, their organizations received a settlement from the city of Washington, our nation's capital, over $1.2 million. So I remember that day. I remember going down with the family. Now, we had just had the Deplora Ball the night before. That was our inaugural ball. And if you watch my Antifa Files uh, segment that we did, or the series that we did here on Human Events Daily, you would have seen, we discussed this at length, that the night before the inauguration, we held a pre-inaugural ball, and it was attacked by the same group. Our attendees were attacked. My mother and father were attacked. Um, fires were set. Batteries were thrown. Eggs were thrown. The police did show up. The police did defend them, defend us. But at the end of the day, all of those people had their charges dropped. None of them saw jail time. So this sent a message. And it was the same message that resonated throughout not only the Trump administration, but for years to come all the way up until today. That if you put on the black mask, that if you go into the black block, that you will not face legal consequences, that the laws do not apply to you. Now, to be sure, we did see some people arrested and prosecuted in 2020. But think of it, this is three years before the domestic color revolution. And I laid out yesterday how they used George Floyd's death to launch a domestic color revolution here in the United States. That was kicked off by the events of 2017, January 20th, because the people there knew that, that the ACLU, that the institutional left would all have their backs. And the same entities and organizations, the same forces that pushed the J20 attack to happen were the same ones that were behind the George Floyd riots. None of them have ever faced consequences for this. Now, interestingly enough, six years ago, when I was, shall we say, a little less recognizable than I am today, I actually infiltrated the planning meetings for the J-20 attacks. So I was in the meeting in the basement of a church in D.C. It was a Presbyterian church, I believe. And I sat through the Antifa meeting where they talked about all of the things they were going to do. They talked about specifically the map of how they were going to march, where they were going to lay out their attacks, where how they were going to use the security cordon that had been put in place by the Secret Service for the attendees to come to, uh, to be able to partake in the inauguration, but then attack people as they left. That was the plan. I recorded them, shared this information with Project Veritas. I also shared it with law enforcement, Secret Service, Metropolitan Police Department. I was on 395, the highway, coming home with Tanya Tay and my brother Kevin. Antifa blocked the highway. They pulled their car across, blocked the highway, got out, started marching. I got out of my car and I confronted them. Some of these kids were 16 years old. They couldn't even vote. And it didn't matter because their rage was being used and was being utilized by the same people 
that launched the domestic color revolution in 2020 in our country. This was only the start. What they called it was the deconstruction project. The deconstruction project of dismantling the administration even before President Trump had been inaugurated. Some of those forces were legal. Some of them were part of the national security state. And then here at the lower tier, we see the street violence, the thugs, the militant wing of quote unquote, the resistance. But see, here's the real thing. We know you're not actually the resistance. You're just an arm of the regime. And that's what you've always been. And that's what Antifa always will be. Treehouse Antifa. What the heck is that? So here's what's going on. In the city of Atlanta, or I should say just outside the city of Atlanta, there is an ongoing, has been an ongoing standoff between police officers and members of local Antifa, anti-fascist organizations in and around the Georgia area, some coming even in from outside the area. And what they're doing is the city of Atlanta wants to establish a police training center out of, outside of the city, and they're using this property, which was which is actually government owned already. It's the old Atlanta prison farm. Now, we don't do prison farms anymore, so it has been largely abandoned. They want to use this abandoned area out in the forest to establish a new training center for police officers. Now, the city of Atlanta points out that they had more homicides in the year 2020 than they had had at any year since the 1990s. So homicides rising, crime is rising, police morale is low, of course, because of the actions of Black Lives Matter, the actions of Antifa, the actions of our own government to demonize police officers. All of this has been going on for about the last three years. Uh, In large part, the woke movement exists to demonize and destroy the institutions of law enforcement in our country or take over them and, of course, only make them work for their side. Eventually, what they want is a national police force that's run from the federal government, exactly like the FBI. But that would be actually controlling your neighborhoods, your street corners, the places where you live. So this is, of course, what the uh, collectivists and central uh, planners would love. And that is why they demonize police so much. So police are trying in Atlanta, at least, are trying to set up a new training center. And because there's going to be a mock village as part of the shooting range, the Antifa militants out there have called it Cop City. So they're calling this. So Trios Antifa has start, uh, called their protest Stop Cop City or Defend Atlanta Forest. And starting in late 2021, they, they actually established tree houses and very primitive types of perimeters outside the confines of where they're trying to build this thing, that land that was originally set up for the old Atlanta prison farm. And these Antifa militants 
have stayed out there. They've been resupplied by uh, by their their comrades, in some cases, finding resupply online. They still, of course, have access to power. They have access to the internet. And so they're receiving reinforcements and financial reimbursements from that and from their comrades. And they've established something of a makeshift autonomous zone. Now, it's nowhere near as developed as the CHAZ was in Seattle when I was able to infiltrate that back in the summer of 2020. But what we're seeing out there, not only the fact that they have dug in, they've been out there for over a year at this point, but they have become increasingly and increasingly militant to the point where during a police activity, and it, it's still kind of uncertain what exactly the activity was, a Georgia state trooper was closing in on this protest, on this autonomous zone that they've set up out in the forest, and he was shot at by one of the Antifa militants. The state trooper was injured. However, he did not die. Uh, he's still living and, and it looks like he's going to be okay. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation says that according to Fox 5, 26-year-old Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran opened fire on a Georgia State Patrol trooper during, quote, a clearing operations. Let's get the official story. Investigators say he did not comply with commands by a joint task force and that he fired first. He was later shot and killed by other officers near the site of the controversial quote. And uh, by the way, I love this, right? I'm just reading from Fox 5 Atlanta, the controversial cop city. What's controversial about the police having a training facility? Like, did you ever watch the police academy movies? Did anyone think, oh, this is so controversial. The police shouldn't have a training facility. How could you have possibly have a major city that has a police training facility that's so incredibly just horrible? It's horrific. It's so controversial. So even Fox 5 Atlanta, you see, puts these little editorial nudges into their own work. Controversial training facility. Why is it controversial? It's a police training facility. Now, you can like it or not like it. You can say you want it or you don't want it. But for a media outlet to insert editorialized words like that and loaded words like that, it, you know, controversial. They used to do this a lot with uh, with Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is someone who, you know, yeah, I, I like Jordan and, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't agree with him on everything. But, you know, obviously, you know, we're, I should put this, you know, more or less on the same team. But the whenever they referred or used to refer to him before, I guess he resigned at the University of Toronto, they would always call him the a the controversial University of Toronto uh, professor of psychology. And I said, is that a seat? Is that a title? Controversial professor? Or is he just a professor of psychology? And so it's just another great example of how they constantly use these weasel words and use these editorialized words to shift you and to tell you who you're supposed to support when you're reading a, a story or not. So in this instance, you have militants who should have been cleared out there on day one. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, the governor of Georgia allowed them to stay. Call in the National Guard immediately. Have them all dealt with. And if they're in trees and they won't get out of the trees, then cut the trees down. It's as simple as that. We don't do this. We don't allow this in our cities. We don't allow this outside of our cities. We want law and order. And if they don't like the idea of a training facility, then they can go petition. They can go get votes. They can go do anything they like. But when they resort to violence and shooting at police officers, in this case, shooting and hitting a Georgia state trooper, they were, were told he was hit in the pelvic region. 
then we absolutely can stand for that. So number one, well, I'll put it this way. He just became a good member of Antifa. But, num- but more broadly, more broadly, we need to understand that this movement has not gone away because our government has not dealt with it at the state level or the federal level. And until leaders come in at the state level, it's probably going to be the state level, that bring in state National Guard forces to deal with them in a timely and orderly manner. We are going to continue having this low level, low intensity insurgency from these radical militant forces until they are dealt with and and mopped up. And then on the back end, the charges need to stick all the way through trial, not like what we saw with J-20 and the D.C. militants who attacked Trump's inauguration. Kevin McCarthy said no blank checks. That makes sense to me. We're not asking for a blank check. I'm not. I'm asking for military aid to accomplish the purpose of driving Russian invaders out of Ukraine. If Putin gets away with this, there goes Taiwan. If Putin's successful in Ukraine is not prosecuted under international law, everything we said since World War II becomes a joke. He will continue beyond Ukraine. Lindsey Graham, I couldn't agree more. The United States needs to be doing everything as possible to defend Ukraine, to stop Russia, the Nazis of Moscow. In fact, Lindsey, my only question here, Senator, is why are you stopping so short? I mean, we're, we're not sending them Abrams tanks. We're only sending them Bradleys, a couple of strikers. I mean, a little bit of armor. Is that really not enough? Why aren't we giving Ukraine aircraft carriers? Why aren't we giving Ukraine submarines? Why aren't we giving them just full complements of the United States Air Force? I I don't understand why Lindsey Graham isn't. Does he not care about democracy? Does he not care about democracy enough to know that it's time to give Ukraine? I'm just going to say it, folks, I'm just going to say it. It's time to give Ukraine nuclear weapons. In fact, We don't even need to ship the nuclear weapons over there since ours have range. Why don't we just hand over our nuclear keys and the controls of our nuclear arsenal to President Zelensky? And that way, Zelensky, you'd stop the war in a day, right? Because, of course, if Zelensky is in charge of the nukes, then Russia would have no choice than to pull back, right? Wouldn't that be the real option here? Wouldn't that be the best option on the table? Oh, wait. It's funny, though, because it seems like forcing a diplomatic solution or a peace solution, a ceasefire, if you will, doesn't actually seem to be what Lindsey Graham is calling. Look, let me let me go back. All right. The United States was involved in proxy wars with the Soviet Union for a very long time. Throughout the entire Cold War, essentially, whether you look at Korea and Vietnam as that. Um, You can look at, obviously, our action in South America. Uh, Iran-Contra was about containing communism and Soviet forces. And then, of course, Afghanistan throughout the 1970s and 1980s. Our support of what eventually became the Mujahideen uh, was precipitated on this idea that we would be able to use them as a force to prop them up and defeat the Soviet Union. And then, of course, as we all know, Afghanistan became a sparkling utopian uh, paradise following the events of the end of the Soviet War. And nothing bad ever happens 
again, in Afghanistan following U.S. involvement in the 1980s. And so when we look at the situation in Ukraine today and Senator Graham's comments in Ukraine, by the way, you have to pull back and say, why was it that every single U.S. president throughout the entire Cold War did everything possible to make sure that U.S. forces and U.S. equipment did not come into direct conflict with the USSR, direct conflict with another nuclear power. And it's as simple as this, because the minute that you start bringing nukes into a situation like that, and I'll definitely respond to the idiotic comments of Peter Zahan, who just said the exact same thing that Lindsey Graham did when he was on Rogan earlier this week, that the only that well we have to defeat Russia because if we don't defeat Russia on the battlefield that wait but if we do defeat Russia on the battlefield right his his reasoning makes no sense so he says if we defeat Russia on the battlefield then Russia will use nukes so we have to defeat Russia on the battlefield wait hold on Zehan you're losing me if we defeat Russia on the battlefield in Ukraine okay so we 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 want the Ukrainian people to be safe of course but then you're saying that if that happens, then they will utilize their nuclear arsenal and perhaps come after us, perhaps go after Ukraine, obliterate the country, glass the entire place, and go in and rule over the embers. So you want that or you don't want that? Because your line of reasoning says that this will end a nuclear war, Mr. Zahar. And here's Lindsey Graham using the exact same line of reasoning. So couldn't you also just, I don't know, you know, maybe go to the line of reasoning used by every single US president throughout the Cold War who said, we need rapprochement with this great power. We need diplomacy. We need to seek ceasefires and end to the fighting and find a way to avoid, oh, what a concept I know, avoid nuclear War. And now he ties it to Taiwan. And, you know, obviously just a very cheap shot there because Russia and China, crazy as it as it seems, they're not actually the same country because one of them is run by the CCP. The CCP, which is directly tied in with the World Economic Forum, the CCP, which is directly tied in with our establishment, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, numerous politicians on both sides of the issue of the aisle. And the CCP, which, of course, is bankrolling this new rise of globalism, which we saw all week on full display at the World Economic Forum. So my question is, when you have one country that's poised to become a major player in world affairs and another country, which, yes, while being a nuclear power, is has become something of a pariah in world affairs, save their connection with China. Which of them is a greater threat to us? And if so, why wouldn't you want to find a way to at least live with them? Doesn't mean you agree. Doesn't mean you have to countersign and and, and co-sign everything they do. Of course not. Certainly. Far from it. But I want the people of our country to be safe from Russian nukes. I want my children to be safe from Russian nukes. And I want my children to be safe from the idiots in Washington, D.C. 
that are marking us towards a two-front global conflict. Lindsey Graham, the senator right there, I would put him obviously in that camp. Now, I have been handed a note because it's been, what do we hear? Uh, covered Davos every single day, everything that's going on. We've went around the world, Antifa. We've got, of course, uh, Ukraine, Russia going on right now. Um, by the way, we're going to have a huge report on Bakhmut coming out. We've got some exclusive videos at the Post Millennial. But I have been told by Little Birdie, by producer Angelo, that a lot of people who are watching the show uh, are also watching, listening to the podcast, but they're not subscribing to the podcast. So do me a favor, pull out your phone right now, go to the podcast app of your choice, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whichever one you like, Stitcher, go ahead, search human events daily, and then boom, hit the subscribe button and make sure notifications are on. That way, whenever human events daily drops, you will able to get access to our news, our information, and our analysis faster than anyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.